So I'm going to get right into my word so I don't take up a lot of time. I'll try to do my best not to keep it long, but I do have to obey the Lord. So let us begin like this, Josh. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! Hey, those sounds are what you hear before any two opponents who have challenged each other to fight to begin. Once the bell rings, the two stand up and the fight is on. I want to thank you for not standing when you heard this bell. It helped to illustrate my point. That God is ringing the bell that it's time for the church to fight, but we're sitting back in our corner, hunkered down, not responding to the bell. There's only three reasons why a fighter doesn't respond to the fight bell. He's quit. He doesn't want to fight no more. He's scared of his opponent or he never heard the bell. The church is in the fight of its life. The greatest spiritual showdown ever is taking place at this very hour in our nation. Where are the Davids at? that are ready to face some spiritual giants and declare to your opponent, you come to me with a spear and a sword and a shield, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. Looking squarely in your opponent's eyes and saying, if it's a fight you want, buddy, it's a fight you're going to get. So should we as a church be fighting? Yes, but it's not a physical fight with the flesh. It's a spiritual fight. Paul, in concluding his ministry, declared, I have fought the good fight. It wasn't out of flesh and blood. It was a spiritual fight against principalities and powers and rules of darkness and spiritual weakness in high places. So what are we to be fighting for? Your purpose, your calling, your dream. I know somebody is thinking, I don't have no dream. Yes, you do. Before you was ever formed in your mother's womb, God had a plan, a dream for you. And tonight, we're going to fight to keep your dream alive or even bring your dream back to life. Although it may appear to be dying or appears to have died, it's not over till God says it's over. He's the only one who has the authority to declare it's dead. Who are we fighting? Satan, the one who's come to kill, steal, and destroy your dreams. And tonight, I'm fighting with you for two things, the dream and the dreamer. Father, let your will be done in this place. I'll accept the challenge before me. I'm here to either fight with you or fight for you, either way. So let me try this again. This time, when the bell sounds, I want you to stand to your feet and let out the loudest war cry you got to your enemy, declaring to him, I haven't quit. I'm not scared of you. I'm ready to fight for my purpose, my calling, my dream. Let's hear it, Josh. You just scared every demon that even tried to be in here out of here. And now we're going to have the liberty of the Lord for God to speak to our hearts and our lives tonight. I'm going to be in the book of Kings, 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 8 through 37. I'm not going to read the, the scriptures, the passage for the sake of time, but I'm going to be elaborating a lot of the scriptures found in that passage. This is a very interesting time in Elijah's life. Quickly, I want to remind you, Elijah is a servant who served Elijah the prophet so faithfully. He walked so close to Elijah, he was chosen to be Elijah's successor. He asked of Elijah before he was taken away by God to heaven in a whirlwind. When you leave this world, grant me a double portion of your anointing. He not only wanted to operate in his anointing, but wanted twice as much. And because of his faithfulness to Elijah, God granted it to him. 
So now Elijah is this man of God operating in a double portion of Elijah's anointing. It was his dream to be used of God in a mighty way. But may I also interject here the scripture, Luke 12 and 48, to whom much is given, much is required, that there is a cost to carrying an anointing, to being used of God. That's not just an every day is a good day kind of life. That matter of fact, it's a weight-filled life full of challenges. It contains spiritual warfare. It's a call that's without repentance. Ruled by finding out it's not strange, it's, to not find it strange, this fiery trial, as though some strange thing has come to try you. Everybody wants it, but many can't handle it. Because it's up one day up on the mountain, calling fire down from heaven, to burning for your life the next day, wondering why you was even born. What we're about to witness in Elijah's life in this passage is a prime example of my opening monologue. As I said, this is a very interesting time in Elijah's life. He had begun to do many miracles in the lives of many people. But at this point, he's facing a great challenge, a true test of his faith. He had spoken to a Shunanite woman whom her and her husband had taken great care of him, this man of God. Every time he passed through their town, they would allow him to stay at their home and rest. They would feed, them, feed him at their house. They believed in honoring the man of God. To the point they built a room onto their house upstairs so he could stay there regularly. This woman had dreamed of having a child, but she was a barren woman who could not have a child. And her husband was way up in the years as well. But Elijah declared to her one day that God said, because of her honoring him, she would bear a child. And she did. Like God said, bear the son. Her dream came true. For only a few short years later, we find Elijah walking right back into the room he once lived in. The bed is still there that once brought him comfort, but it is now filled with a child who appears to be dead, not just any child. This child was special. Elijah played a big part in this child's life. This was the child that God had promised the Shunanite woman. When this child was born, it was a dream come true. Now, I'll talk more about that in just, in just a moment. When Elijah arrived to the boy, it appeared he was dead upon his arrival, just like it appeared to his mother before Elijah got there. She believed her dream died while she held him in her arms. And if he was dead, then that means he's been dead for some time now before Elijah even arrives. I mean, long enough, according to scripture, for her to carry him to his room, place him in his bed, argue with her husband whether or not to go get Elijah, saddle up an animal to ride, ride to Mount Carmel to find him, explain to Elijah what happened, and then however long it took for Elijah to arrive at this house. I mean, however long all this took, this boy laid in what used to be Elijah's bed, appearing as to be dead. Now, here's the heartbreak of the story. This is the same child that Elijah had promised this woman God was going to give her. It was her dream. Despite the fact that she was bearing her husband was of an old age, leaving her to believe it would never be possible for her to have a child. She always dreamed for it. So many people are in the same position with your dream. It appears to you it has died. He was a child Elijah told her the Lord was going to give her because she served the prophet so faithfully. He had brought her dream to pass for her. Only for now, her dream laid in his bed, appearing to be dead. Now, looking back to when Elijah first shared the promise with the woman, this woman's first reaction to what God promised her was, please don't tell me that. Don't go and get my hopes all up if this isn't true. Because I've spent so much time 
accepting the fact that it would never be. I mean, I'm barren. My husband's too old. So how could this ever be? So don't go giving me a false hope, she told him, because it would be easier to believe and accept that this can't happen than to believe this is going to happen and it never does. It's painful enough now as it is. Don't set me up for more heartbreak to have a dream, but watch it die. At this tragic moment, what's happening, the enemy must have been reminding Elijah of this, the man with a double portion of anointing. These words must have been echoing through his head. Wow, the pressure of the calling. It appears the promise she had been given is now dead. She finally had mustered up enough faith to believe for the promise, and she received it, but it was short-lived. Now it's dead. Ever been there before? Come on, somebody. You got to see it. You got to touch it. Was so proud of it. It changed your life. You got you gave God praise for it, only to watch it die one day right before your very eyes. It happened so suddenly, your dream died right in your arms. The dream you had for your children, the dream you had for your family, the dream you had for your marriage, the dream that you had for your ministry. You did everything you could possibly do to keep it alive. You nourished it. You walked the floors over it. You had sleepless nights over it. Because of it, you were faithful to it. Yet due to circumstances out of your control, your dream died. There's times, these times are the most confusing times of our lives. It was so exciting when you received it, but now so heartbreaking to lose it. Your child, your dream started out so well, so precious, so innocent, then something happened out of your control. Your marriage, your dream started out so well. You had a beautiful wedding. You had a romantic honeymoon. You married the man or woman of your dreams. Then something out of your control caused it to die. You had a career or a ministry, your dream. It was going well. You worked so hard for it, countless hours, even invested in it. Then it abruptly ended. It's where the Shunammite woman is at. Even though it's a promise from God, it appeared to have died. Did you catch? I said it appeared to have died. It brings us to the point. We feel there's nothing we can do. It's over. Nothing left. No more. No more life in it. It appears to be dead. Hold on a minute. First of all, it is not over till God says it's over. He's the only one who has the authority to declare it's dead. Even if it looks dead, dead things can be resurrected by God. Jesus declared at the tomb of his friend Lazarus, who had been dead for four days, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Lazarus, come forth. What's happening here is not unto death. It's so that God may be glorified. Maybe you can't bring it back to life, but you can call upon God and he can bring it back to life for you. But first, you must be a man or woman of God. You've got to pull your bootstraps up and you've got to be obedient to God's word. What am I saying? You just keep listening. You've got to do as Paul Harvey would say, hear the rest of the story. Now, how many of you been in a place where it seemed like God gave you a word, a promise, a dream? And the doors begin to open up and everything seemed to be falling in place. It was so exciting. Your dream was coming true right before your very eyes. You could see it. You could touch it. You could embrace it. But all of a sudden, things became a little harder than you expected. It started out so great. But the closer you got to it, the harder things got. What do you do when it looks like your promise, your dream is dead? Elijah had spoken to her and told her that God had promised her a son. She tried to reject it, but he said God said it. But now get this. Not only is the promise he made her appears to be dead, we got a lot more going on here at the same time, that is. Elijah's promise for his life, 
may be dead as well. Don't forget, God promised him a double portion of Elijah's anointing. So let me go back introducing Elijah to you to see why his dream might be considered to be dead also. Elijah was Elijah's predecessor. And because Elijah served him so well, he was going to be Elijah's successor. Before Elijah was going to be taken away in a whirlwind, Elijah, knowing his days were few, asked Elijah, before I leave, what would you like for me to do for you? Elijah asked Elijah. I mean, Elijah asked Elijah for a double portion of his anointing. And through Elijah, God granted to him. That was his promise. That was his dream. It was proven to be true time and time again by the many miracles Elijah began to do. One being he was able to prophesy to this barren woman and tell her she would bear a child, and she did. So when her child dies, it looks like Elijah's double portion came up short. So this means that his dreams are dying too? I wonder, is there anybody in here this has happened to your dream? It came up a little bit short too. Have you ever thought this is it? I'm on my way, and then it falls short. Have you ever thought just maybe things are going to turn around, but they don't? Thought you were just about to get past, and you don't? Thought it was about to finally be yours, but it's not? Something knocks the wind out of your cell, stopping it dead in its tracks. It appears as DOA. Your dream, your promise has died. The painful effects of these experiences affects us. Discouragement sets in, only to teach us to lower our expectations. From here on out, from this point forward, come on, somebody. It tells us not to dream again, that life is so much easier not to dream, not to expect nothing to change again, to happen, than to have a dream and watch it die. I'm talking to folks who were once dreamers who don't want to dream no more. You have a new philosophy now, and that is, if I don't expect nothing out of life, I won't be so disappointed when things don't go the way so you don't dream no more. If you don't try again, if I don't fall in love again, then and then only will I be guaranteed this won't happen again. And I'll never have to feel this pain again. So we build these walls to protect us to keep the pain out. Being hopeful can end up being painful. But I want to tell all the wall builders something about walls. Building walls not only keep things out, but they also keep you in. Example, when being in a state of despair, oppression and depression, you and you build your walls, you try to keep everything and everyone out. It may keep things out, but the walls also keep you in the state of despair where you will drown in your sorrows alone. You see, I believe it's better to live and die than to die and never have lived. Being bold enough to say, I still want it. In spite of what you've lost in the process, in spite of the pain that has caused you, in spite of the strongholds that have, have kept you had to overcome, in spite of all this, you choosing to be hopeful again is a gift from God. It's not always foolish to fight for what's hurt you, as many will tell you. There are moments in the process of possessing your dream when it looks like it's not going to work. It looks too hard. It looks too embarrassing. It costs too much. It takes too much of your time and work and energy. God promised Israel a land flowing with milk and honey. And they sent out spies to go ahead of them, see what their promise, their dream looked like. And eight of the 10 came back and said, there are great things that lie ahead for us, but there are giants in the land. And when the people heard it was going to be a battle to have their, to have their promise that was going to be work and cost them something, they retreated and a whole generation never received their promise. They were afraid to pursue their promise. The child appeared dead on Elijah's bed, the place that once brought Elijah so much comfort. 
Now it rings with the stench of death. Dead things stink, folks. Nothing stinks worse in life than a dead dream. The place where you once felt so comfortable, where you could be yourself. You were living life to the fullest. Have you ever been to a place where trust is violated in such a way that you can't rest anymore in that place that was so comfortable at one point? So where do you rest when life gets to you, when the struggle gets too difficult, when all you want to do is lay down your head and rest, wishing to perhaps go back to sleep, wake up again, and find out it was all just a bad dream? All you want is your comfortable place back again. But when reality sets in, you realize that place of comfort is now a place of death. And things will never be the same because your dream appears to have died in your arms. What do you do? See, I've heard some people say to their spouses, it's not that I don't love you. It's just it hurts so bad. I feel so betrayed by you. And I can't afford to be vulnerable again with you. It's not that I don't want to dream again. It's not that I don't have a vision for us. It's just I can't take a chance of everything this hurting this way again. It hurts too much to try again. I fear it's going to be failure after failure, rejection after rejection. That will continue. It feels like death in this place, they say. Yet, but inside of me, I'm dying to believe again. I'm dying to try again. I'm dying to believe God still has a plan for me and for us and for her and for him. I'm dying to believe we can get past this. I'm dying to believe I can get past this. I'm dying to believe I'm stronger than what I came up against. I'm dying to believe I'll be able to rest again. I'm dying to believe this won't torment me forever. I'm dying to believe my breath is a promise because right now I feel like I'm slowly dying, that I'm barely existing. And I'm afraid to admit I want to live again and dream again and love again, but what if... It don't pan out the way I want it to. Oh, that's you, ma'am. That's you, sir. God is speaking so loudly to someone right now, whether you're in this place tonight or you're watching by live stream. God's got your number and God's speaking to you. Let your dream live again. So here's Elijah in the upper room with a dead dream, in this case, a child. Bible says he went into that room and shut the door. So only him and the boy were in the room. Then it says he prayed to the Lord. The first thing he did, he prayed to ask the Lord, what do I do? So often it's always the last thing we do in times like this. Sometimes you don't even know what to pray. Sometimes you just say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Yet at times, though, that's enough because if you call upon him, he'll answer. If we simply call out his name, he's promised he'll be your very present help in times of trouble. But sometimes we pick up the phone and call everybody else but him. I'm sure Elijah reminded the Lord of the promise he made to this woman as he was speaking to God. Lord, you had me tell this woman you were going to give her her dream, and you did as you promised. But why does it appear her dream is dead? And perhaps even asked, how could this happen? And even thought at times, if her dream is dead, then perhaps my dream is too, Lord. Probably began to ask the question, Maybe I've lost my anointing. The text reads in verse 34 that next he climbed on top of the child and he put his mouth to his mouth, his eyes to his eyes, and his hands to his hands. And I would agree with anyone who thinks that was a strange thing to do. Here lies a dead child and you're going to go lay on top of him and you're a grown man. Unless God had told him to do it, it would have been the wrong thing to do. Remember, he prayed, and now he's being obedient to God's instructions. It took a lot of faith at this point to do something strange like this. It better be God said it. So many times God asks us to do things 
we aren't willing to do because they're not normal protocol or they're out of our comfort zone. Things he has to do to keep our dreams alive, but we're not willing to be, and we're not willing to be obedient. So therefore, we never attempt to resurrect our dreams. We just let them lay there and mourn. There's so many dreams that have died in the body of Christ that should have lived but didn't because we're not willing to humble ourselves, not willing to get up on top of our dreams and breathe life back into them. You know, I begin to wonder, why would you lay on a dead thing? I went, though, from why would you lay on a dead thing to perhaps it's more about how he laid on him. The fact that he put his mouth to his mouth, his eyes to his eyes, his hands to his hands. Perhaps it's symbolic instruction for us who've had dead dreams, representing instruction for our loved ones who are dead in trespasses and sin, or our marriages that are dead, that are failing, or careers that are dying, or even ministries that are dead. Promises God has given us that have fallen short. Perhaps the illustration is showing us how to handle them. Perhaps it could be he put his mouth on his mouth to breathe life into his dream because there is power of life and death in the tongue. If your dead dream is ever going to be resurrected, you're going to have to breathe life into it by speaking to it. You're going to have to change the way you speak about your son or daughter, the way you speak about your marriage, the way you speak about your career, the way you speak about your ministry, the way you speak about your dream. You're going to have to speak life into them by faith. You're going to have to speak life to it while everyone else is speaking death. Those who don't even have the authority to do so. You're going to have to look at that child and say, I don't care what you've done or what people are saying about you. You're my dream. You're my child. And I love you. And because of that, you're going to live and not die. God gave you to me. And it may appear my dream is slowly dying. But I declare to you in the name of the Lord, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Devil, you ain't killing my dream. I have the authority by Jesus Christ to proclaim victory for my child's life. You're going to have to look at your spouse and say, I bow to God, I love you for better, for worse, and you're going to have to honor that commitment. You're going to have to tell them I love you and I will love you till death do us part. It's your dream. You're going to have to speak to your boss. Do you know who I really work for? If God be for me, who can be against me? With your mouth, just like God breathed life into Abraham, Adam, I mean, God can breathe life back into your dream with your mouth. Then how about him putting his eyes to his eyes? Could it be when people see their dreams as dead? With your eyes, you got to help them as a man or woman of God see their vision is still alive, that there are new avenues for them, there's a new horizon for them, there's new opportunities for them in their future because the devil is a liar. Let them see maybe that didn't work in your life, but when God shuts one door, he opens another so they can see what you see in them. You got to put vision in them. So you can see that there is still something to live for for them. That this moment is actually going to make them stronger. Then how about his hands to his hands? Well, the word of God tells us faith without works is dead. We know he had faith because he prayed and cried out to the dead bones come alive. But was he willing to work on this thing? Because it takes more than just saying you believe your dream can live again. You must understand you still have to work at this scene to keep it alive. And sometimes to bring it back alive. The hands were assigned to us that you're going to have to work on that thing everybody else is calling dead. You're going to have to handle this. You've got to take hold of your dream. You've got to fight for it. You've got to take hold of your dream. Look it in the eye and speak life into it. 
You got to look at it and say, he's given you a mouth to speak to it, eyes to see it. But if you don't work on it, it will come dead. It's going to take more than just faith. It's going to take a conceited effort to bring your dream back to life so that God can take what the enemy meant for your bad and turn it back into your good. How many of you quit praying for their child or their dream? You got to be willing to put the time and effort into it. You got to nurture it. You got to cherish it. You got to be patient with it. You got to pray for it. You got to counsel it and you got to forgive it. It takes two in any relationship, speaking life to one another, seeing eye to eye with one another, working hand in hand with one another. It takes the dream and the dreamer. You speak life to it, she speaks life to it. You see the vision, she sees the vision. You work on it, she works on it. There were two sides involved in this effort. If any two agree on anything, come on somebody. It's the man of God through Christ. It's a woman of God through Christ, resurrected the dead by the power that worketh in us. You need to speak life to it to resurrect your dream, your marriage, your ministry, your family. You need to see it for what it was promised to be, to resurrect your dream and work on it, to bring your dream back to life. Now, I'm going to read that part again, remembering the power of the mouth, the eyes, and the hands while I read it. Verse 33 and 34, it says, He went in and shut the door of the two of them, and they prayed to the Lord. Then he got on their bed and lay upon the boy, mouth to his mouth, eyes to his eyes, hands to his hands, and then he went further. And he stretched himself. And he stretched himself. Oh, it's going to stretch you to bring your dream back alive, your child back alive, your marriage back alive, your career back alive, your ministry back alive. See, I wanted to tell you it's easy as one, two, three, it's ABC, but because you've been in this place of hurt so long, in this place of disbelief for so long, you've given up on it, I got to be bold with you. Because there is a man of God tonight in here who's walked into this room tonight who still believes that your dream can be resurrected. It don't have to be dead and it don't have to die. Why? Because God is on your side. Whoever told you your dream is dead didn't have the authority to tell you that unless it was God. It's going to be hard for you to put your mouth on this dead thing. It's going to be hard for you to put your eyes on this dead thing. It's going to be hard for you to put your hands on this dead thing. You're going to have to stretch yourself to do it. You're going to have to get out of your comfort zone, dare to believe with everything you got within you. Dare to try again with everything that's coming against you. Many will say, well, I've been trying. If what you're trying isn't working, then try something else. You got to tell some folks, I'm working on this regardless of what you think about it. It's not going to kill me to try, but if it dies, I die with it. I believe it doesn't have to die if I want it to live. Because the resurrection power of Christ will help me if I'm willing to be stretched and follow his instructions. Speak to it. I'm going to dream again. My dream is going to live again. Give it mouth to mouth. Breathe life back into it. My marriage that was dead will be better than it's ever been. I have to change. She has to change. My next marriage will be greater than my last one because the next one I married won't treat me like the last one I married. My son that was lost will be found. He was blind, but now he will see. Though he be afar off today, I'll stand at the gate by the road every day until I see him coming home. And when he gets here, I'm not going to condemn him. We're going to kill a fatted calf, and we're going to celebrate his new life. That's my son. That's my dream. Hallelujah. Amen. 
My career, my ministry will flourish again. It's not over. I may have lost the battle, but not the war. I just got to stretch myself and dedicate myself to my call. I can't quit just because it got hard. What grew cold in my life will be greater than warm again. I'll be back on fire again. I'll go further than I've ever been because he that's begun a good work for me will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You gotta speak life to it. The Bible says after he prayed and he stretched himself upon the boy, this cold child's boy, this cold child's body became warm again, but it wasn't quite alive yet. Too often we make a half-hearted effort. We don't go the extra mile. Oh, we warm things up a little bit, never setting it on fire again, and we become comfortable with it. It's not what its purpose is to be, but at least it's better than what it was, you think. The Bible says Elijah got up off the warm child, and he walked around the room again. Then he tried again. He wasn't satisfied with just warm. Warm was a good thing. It showed signs of improvement. He couldn't stop there. Warm is what many are so satisfied with. But simply being warm isn't life, folks. Just tolerating, just maintaining, just being comfortable, declaring that's far enough. Don't you want more than just going from cold to warm? Don't you want your dream to come totally alive again? So many settle for just being saved because it's enough to get you to heaven. Warm. But being consumed with the Holy Ghost and fire, I'm telling you, is the supernatural empowerment of God through you to make a difference in the kingdom of God, to tear down, to tear down strongholds and set the captives free. Well, she shall receive power after the Holy Ghost comes upon you. It's more than enough. A relationship with God that only is warm is like having a half-dead dream. Warm is half-cold. It's half-hot. God wants you to have life and have it more abundantly. God don't want us to have children living halfway right, having marriages that are just tolerating one another, just staying together for the sake of the kids. He don't want us to have careers that never allow us to succeed for us to give a half-hearted effort to them. No, no, Elijah was not satisfied with being warm. There's no life in being just warm. Jesus said, I'd rather you be hot or cold. Elijah knew God doesn't do things halfway. He wasn't giving up on his dream or her dream. God had not given up, given him a double portion just to restore things halfway. And too many of us are content with being warm. And therefore, your dreams never become what they were promised to be. They're not effective. They're just neutrally existing. You've stifled your dreams, your effectiveness. Now you're complacent yet unsatisfied in your heart. Just because it got hard, just because it required blood, sweat, and tears, and a few more years, just because he failed or she failed, according to Scripture, we've all failed and come short of the glory of God. So Elijah, not content with warm, he walks the floor again. And it signals to us not to give up too fast, not to settle for being just warm, just comfortable. So he walks around the room, praying once again, not satisfied with the dream, just being warm, existing, he wanted to live and breathe. This prophet of double portion, double means two, and two times he did this. As I say, if that didn't get you this will, my persistence and my obedience will pay off. He didn't give up on the child or the dream. Can it be we want a double portion, but don't want to do twice as much work to get it? Please don't forget to whom much is given, much is required. When we don't give up, give what is required, then don't be surprised when we come up short. 
Everybody wants to have those big dreams, but nobody wants to do what it takes to have them. They don't want to be caregivers of such a large responsibility. Big dreams require so much more sacrifice. Like it takes a whole lot more work to farm 100 acres than it does 10 acres. There's more time required, more nurturing required, more discipline required, more sacrifice required. People all the time say, I wish I had Paul's anointing. Really? Being shipwrecked, beaten, snake bitten, beheaded, it came with it. For a moment, it looked like Elijah was coming up short, but he doesn't give up simply because it got hard. No, he climbs on top of the boy a second time. Elijah believes, if I truly still have it, then God will do more than just make him warm. He'll make him alive. This will declare not only is the Spirit of God able to keep a man of God's dreams alive, but also the Shunammite woman's as well. Just because it got a little harder, just because once was not enough, means I just have to work a little harder to keep my dream alive. Folks, going to the altar one time sometimes is not enough, folks. Sometimes praying once about it is not enough. God is a God of second chances. With God, a promise is a promise. This time, when he laid on a child, it went to another level. Persistence pays off with God. Having a bulldog faith. It's the effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man that bellows much. Something different happened. The child sneezed seven times. What does seven mean? It's the number of completion. The boy was now completely alive. The dream was alive again. The promise was alive again. Maybe also because he sneezed, it was a sign that even though he was alive again, the dream still needs to be tended to. You see, because when you sneeze, it's a sign that something has irritated your system. By sneezing, your body is trying to reject what it don't need. You see, there was a reason this, boy was, this boy's dream died. Never take for granted just because your dream is alive, you don't have to doctor it, nourish it, or protect it. A lot of dreams have died because of irritations that weren't tended to. His body was trying to tell you something is affecting the dream. The signs were all there. The symptoms were apparent. Something was wrong. This boy's head was hurting before he died. You can be alive and have pneumonia. If not tended to, it will kill you. He sneezed as to get all that stuff out of him that was killing him. Come on, somebody. That stuff that is in you is killing, that is killing your dream, such as unforgiveness and bitterness and wrath and jealousy, whatever it is. Could it be God allows your dream to die to bring you back alive, to get your attention? Because sometimes we don't know what we got till it's gone. Maybe you were so cold and indifferent to your dream, you lost focus, you lost sight. The irritation caused separation. It took too much of your time. It cost you too much. It's too hard to work. How many of you know relationships take a lot of time, cost a lot, and are hard work? We don't live in Mayberry, and you don't sell on the love boat. See, a lot of times in relationships, we're going upstream without a paddle in a rowboat, and it's hard work. When you were given your dream, your career, your child, the men of your dreams, you were also given the responsibility to keep it alive. And I'm here to tell some folks, that are struggling to keep your dream alive, it's time to sneeze. Why? Because when you do, God's fixing to shout, God bless you. And when that stuff comes out of you, there won't be a devil in hell that can stop you from having a dream again. 
We get so caught up in being broken and hurt, we don't think God could do anything with what we got left. Let me remind you, it's God who could take nothing and make something of it. If it's nothing more than just a little bit of meal and a little bit of oil, ask the widow woman. God didn't let her and her son, her dream die. Ask King David when God built the beautiful temple upon his ashes where he had sacrificed for his sins. God didn't let his calling die. The Shunammite woman didn't believe she could have a son. She was afraid to even ask God for it. The way her life was going, why would God give her one? She pondered. That's where so many are at. That thing that God gave you, that what, that's what Adam said to God, standing in the garden and blaming Eve for the failed relationship with God. He said, God, this woman, this thing that you gave me, and so are many of us, that promise, that dream that God gave you because it hurt you, now you're not willing to try again. Dreams are going to hurt you because you love the thing so much. But sadly, too many times, no one wants to invest in it or to fix it. You believe it's easier to bury it than to resurrect it. I'm here to tell you the morning that follows the burial won't bring back life. But Jesus Christ, the resurrection and the life will. And we may endure for the night, but joy is going to come in the morning with Christ. The dream seemed perfect, but it had a fatal flaw. But what we fail to see is we all have flaws. None of us are perfect. You believe it will never be the same. It's true. It won't be. The truth is you don't want it to be the same. Something was broken. But if you fix the flaw, it'll be better than it ever was because you'll reinforce it to prevent another failure. God was always making things better. If the potter was making a bowl of clay and it had a crack in it, he'd put it back on the wheel. He'd remold it. He'd reshape it. He'd make it all new again, always better and stronger. You too will have to find out what caused your dream to fail and ask the potter, Jesus Christ, to reinforce it so it won't happen again. It's too valuable just to throw it away. It's your dream. If you don't, it will die. The adversity that you despise will actually cause you to make it stronger. Through the process, it makes you stronger. If you play no part in restoring the dream, you'll never know the value of its recovery. She didn't ask for it, but God blessed her anyway, and he gave her the desire of her heart. But when it died, it seemed like it was just stripped away. Upon it happening, she could have went back to Elijah and said, See, this is why I didn't want to believe you blaming him as most of us would do. But instead, she made a daring move. She dared to believe in the prophet again. Instead of just sitting there blaming everyone, including herself, instead of drowning in what used to be, she decided to believe in what God said would be. You can't get bound by what used to be. You got to believe in what God said it would be. You got to say, God, you told me, you promised me, I would have a child, a dream, but I can't when he's dead. And God's going to say to you, you're going to have to take your mouth and your eyes and your hands and change how you're speaking to your dream, how you're looking at your dream, and how you're working on your dream. And God sent me tonight to tell you there's an, an opportunity to change how you're speaking to your dream, your promise, how you're seeing your dream. You've lost your vision. When you speak life to it, calling that thing that is not as though it were. When you see your future for it, when you handle it with love and not frustration, it can live again. you got to trust God, and you got to believe that it's not DOA. Your son, your daughter can be who God said they can be. Your marriage can be what God said it would be. Your career, your ministry can be what God called you to be. That in spite of what it looks like, things just don't happen to you. There's times they happen for you. You see, it wasn't just the boy who was dead. This woman's faith was dead at one point. She couldn't even believe for a dream. And God was going to use this to build her faith. 
that our dream doesn't have to die because it was a promise for God. To help her understand I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I want to talk to some folks. Maybe you believe your dream is dead tonight. Or you feel like it's dying. And you think it can't live again. You think you can't live again. Well, I want to tell you, if you'll just look around this room, I can prove to you, you can live again. Because of what God has done for so many others in this room, including me, he can do it for you. Anybody in here who's had a dream has been through what you've been through. Is that true? Yes. Look at them tonight. They're in church. They're clapping their hands. They're full of faith in spite of what they've been through. Just last year, they didn't look so well to do. Ten years ago, they were through. They were down for the count. But now they're stronger than they've ever been. They're breathing in and they're breathing out. They're alive again. They've had to sneeze a few times. They had to get some stuff out of their system that was trying to get to them, whether it was fear, oppression, or depression, unbelief, anger, bitterness, drugs, alcohol, sin, whatever it was, so they could live again. So they sneezed seven times. They completed the process through their obedience to God. And when they sneezed, got all that stuff out of them that wasn't good for their life. When they sneezed, God said, God bless you. And now they're blessed to be alive again. They have a dream again. They've learned how to speak to things. They've learned how to have a vision. They've learned how to handle things differently so their dreams don't have to die again. They've learned it's a lot easier to keep something alive than have to raise it from the dead. They've learned how to nurture their dreams. They've learned how valuable they are. So now they speak to it. They see the value of it. And they work harder on it and handle it better than they ever have. And I've come to tell whoever you are, what God has done for them, he wants to do for you. He wants you to live again. He wants your dream to come alive again. There are seasons in our lives, ups and downs. And how you handle the downs determines how you get up. Whether you're cold or warm or alive and well, God wants you to help keep your dream alive. Even if it appears dead, he wants to help you resurrect your dream. He wants you to dream again. If you just stop lamenting long enough to ask God, is there something you're trying to teach me through this? Are you using this adversity to change me, God? Because if you would, you would pass the storm a whole lot faster. When you spend all your time playing the blame game, you lose in the process. You lose what God's trying to do in you for you. He's not trying to destroy you. He's trying to make you a better you. There's power that comes to you in surviving death. You see, when your dream dies, the dream and the dreamer both die. You see, it takes both to live. There's a dream that is dead. Are you the dream, the son, the daughter, the spouse? You died for a reason. Are you dead in trespasses and sin? There's the dreamer. Are you the dreamer? Are you the son, the daughter, the spouse, the mom, the dad? The dream died for a reason. God don't allow dreams to die for no reasons. He never does. If he allows it to, it's to fix it so it'll be better than it ever was, to strengthen it, to mold it, shape it, fix the crack, the flaw, to make it of more value. I hope you notice it wasn't just enough for Elijah to pray and be a man of God. He had to activate his faith. He had to lay hands on the child. He had to be willing to be stretched. He had to put all of his focus on it, and he had to trust God for the dream to live. He had to speak life into it with his mouth. He had to see the value of it with his eyes. He had to work on it to do what was required. This text shows us some powerful stuff about relationships, our dreams, and our promises. For you, the woman could represent a mother whose dream is, is her child, but your dreams, your plans for your child appear to be dead. For you, the woman could represent a wife or a husband 
whose dream was your marriage, but your marriage appears to be dead. You had plans for it. For you, the woman could represent a man or woman whose dream was their career or their ministry, but it's spelling. It looks dead. You had plans. Or you could be the child, the dream that's dead, spiritually speaking. You were doing well. You were growing in the Lord till one day you began to faint and slowly you died. When my musicians come, and Elijah represents how the Spirit of God can help you to resurrect our dreams. That if we're willing to be obedient to God's word, see God like the woman saw to Elijah, he will help your dreams live again. Elijah illustrated to us that if we will be men and women of God who will walk by faith, speak by faith, and live by faith, who will pray and ask the Lord for directions and instruction, men and women who will not lean to your own standing but acknowledge him and direct his path, men and women of God who will speak life into your dreams, believe it can live again, who will look into the eyes and declare, I see a future in someone, who will lift up their hands and work for it and go the extra mile for it, be willing to try again. If you're willing to nourish and nurture your dream, then God can bring your dream back alive again because it's not over till God says it's over. Don't give up too soon because God doesn't give up on you. God used the man of God to speak life into that woman's dream. His faith showed the woman it's okay to dream even if the dream causes you pain. And I pray tonight that maybe he's used me to speak into someone's life, into your dream. He used me to tell you your dream can live again. He used me to tell the dreamer you can dream again. It's your promise. It's your dream. For me to tell you it's better to work on keeping your dream alive than having to try to resurrect it once it's dead. But regardless if it's dead, even for four days or four years, God can help bring your dream back to life. If you want to dream again, don't want your dream to die, then in just a short moment, I'm going to invite you to come and pray. That was the very first thing that Elijah did. And ask God to help you activate your faith again and help you change how you've been handling your dream and trust him for the dream to come alive again. You must believe it can be better than it's ever been. And not so much ask him to change the dream, but to change you so you can handle the dream. See, I believe you can come to this altar, and I believe you can leave here like the woman left the upper room. And I'm closing with this. The Bible says she went to the upper room and picked her dream back up again. And I'm here to tell you the Spirit of God, that same Spirit that worked through Elijah, is here to move upon you, to raise your dream back up again or cause you, the dreamer, to believe again for your dream, or empower you to even dream again so that you can live again, you can love again, you be happy again, and you can rest again. God wants me to tell someone, you've been planning a funeral for something that's not even dead yet. Your dream's not dead yet. You're not dead yet. Would you stand with me? God's spoken to you tonight through this message. Then God's going to invite you to come to this altar. And he wants to meet you here. So you can walk out of here tonight carrying your dream again. So you can speak to it differently. So you can see it differently. And so you can handle it differently. If you're here tonight and you have a dream, a child, a marriage, a career, a ministry that appears to be dead or dying, I'm going to ask you to come to this altar. 
and pray and ask him to resurrect your dream because you still want it. There are two sides to this tonight. He wants to resurrect the dream and he wants to resurrect the dreamer. So who is ready to fight to keep their dream alive? Who is ready to fight to bring their dream back to life? Every head bowed and every eye closed for just a moment. The Spirit of the Lord is here because he wants to minister to somebody. You think your dream's dying. Some of you think it's already dead. Started out great. It was going good. You were excited. But it began to faint. It began to slip right out of your hands. Tonight, God wants to reassure you it's not over. It's not dead. That if you'll come and follow Elijah's instruction, come and pray about for direction, come and see the future of it, and be willing to take your hands and work on it, it can come alive again. I'm going to ask everyone that would, if that's you, would you find your place at an altar? Spirit of the Lord is in this place. He cares about you. He cares about your dream. He knows what you've been through. He knows what you've battled. Ministry's hard. Having an anointing can be tough stuff. Some of you got dreams for your children. It doesn't appear it's going the right way then I ask you to come and pray for your children, your dream. Some of you got callings on your life and it's not going the right way. It doesn't appear at this moment. Then I ask you to come and pray that God would help direct you in your calling. And some of you say, I had a dream, but I feel like it died and I'm afraid to dream again. Don't be afraid no more come and let the Spirit of God work on you and your dreams.